My name is Jeremy Hetzel. I'm the Director of Student Ministries here at Family of Christ. Um, I have the joy of sharing God's Word with you today. I was blessed last week by <clears throat> lots of different positive comments about me being up here. So for those of you who didn't like it last week, thank you for keeping those to yourself. And for those who appreciated it, thank you for sharing that with me. It's a great blessing when God provides, when you aren't necessarily sure you're up to certain challenges or you're not sure what's going to happen next, and God shows up. Case in point, yesterday I'm talking to my wife and I'm trying to figure out what am I going to wear on stage? Like, what am, what am I going to wear? She's like, don't you have like a blue shirt with like palm leaves on it? I do! <laughs> palm Sunday, palm shirt in my closet. And I didn't have to go shopping. I tell you, God's good. So, starting out today, I wanted to begin by seeing if anyone had noticed a fairly significant event in the life of our nation that happened last Sunday. Anything stand out to you next Sunday in the life of our nation, like a, a pretty significant event? Say that again? World War I started. That was very significant. That was not what I was thinking of. Um, Major League Baseball opening day. Anyone notice that? I am a huge Red Sox fan. Preach, people! This, uh, this love for the Red Sox started probably when I was six, seven, eight. I lived in Connecticut, and while I was living there, we went to Fenway Park. And I was like, this place is amazing! It's got a giant big wall, it's green, it's got popcorn, and baseball! This place rocks! So I was super excited. So I've been a fan in the early days when it was like, rough, and then we broke the curse, and we've just won a ton recently. Sorry for you who have not won in a long time. So, in talking about opening day, I thought I would share a video of something significant that happened last season. This is what a party a century in the making looks like. Your first day. This is, I know, this has been, I mean, my whole life waiting for this moment. So have five million other fans who packed Grand Park. All right, everybody's hands up. For one epic selfie and line the streets for the ultimate victory lap. Now, a lot of these people have been outside for about six hours just to get a glimpse of their cubbies. It took that gut-wrenching game seven. And an extra innings pep talk. I just wanted them to understand that they are the best in the world. And we're singing, go Cubs, go. Tonight, the triumph for the team and the faithful who waited a lifetime and then some. Alex Perez, ABC News, Chicago. We got any Cubs fans in the house? I figured there'd be about two. Um, so what's awesome, why I wanted to show that video is because the Cubs had been waiting how long? Come on, Cubs fans, how long have you been waiting? 108 years. 108 years to win another World Series. 
And some of you are going, I didn't even know baseball had been around for 108 years. <laughs> Long time, Cubbies waiting. I wanted you to see that video because as we go through our text today, I think it's important to at least visually have seen what a huge crowd that had been waiting a long time for something significant looked like. Okay? So keep that in mind as we go through the text today. We are going to be looking at Luke 19. So if you have your Bibles or if you have phones that you want to pull up, um, version app, etc., please get those ready. We're going to be flipping around. When I have the opportunity to preach, I like to teach more than preach. It's just comfortable for me. So we will be going through lots of scripture. So get your thumbs or your hands ready. What I wanted to start out talking about was last week we talked about Zacchaeus and how he was going through, Jesus was going through Jericho. And he had a purpose. Remember, he had a place to be and he took time to give to Zacchaeus. He gave of his time and he was generous with his time. So the location that he was going was Jerusalem. So if we look at the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 2, if you will go to verse 41, Luke 2, 41, we want to understand why was he going to Jerusalem? What was the purpose? So Luke chapter 2, verse 41, every year his parents, Jesus, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Three times a year, all of the Jewish people were supposed to go to Jerusalem. And it says so in Deuteronomy. They were supposed to go for the Passover, the festival of, let me make sure I say it right, the festival of booths and the feast of weeks. They were supposed to go for those three specific festivals and they were supposed to show up. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, a lot of people going every year to Jerusalem means there's going to be large crowds. There's going to be a lot of people showing up to go. So if we go to Luke chapter 18, I want you to kind of understand that there were large crowds following Jesus for a while. And if you look at just scripture as a whole, he had crowds around him all the time. Tons of people wanted to see, who's this miracle worker? What's he doing? What's this all about? What's he teaching? They wanted to know. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 18, verse 31, it says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. So Jesus, even before he meets Zacchaeus, knows he's going to Jerusalem and knows he's going to die. Can you imagine taking time out of your schedule when you know you're going to do a hard thing, when you're stressed about it, when you're feeling downtrodden about it, to still take time for Zacchaeus? I think that's powerful. I think it's a powerful example of God's incredible love for us that he faced Jerusalem even in the midst of his own struggle and heartache and said, I'm going to take time for people. I'm going to love them. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem. In verse 35 of chapter 18, it says, 
As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So there's a huge crowd walking with Jesus even before they get to Zacchaeus. And then when we know they get to Zacchaeus, what happens? He has to climb a tree because of the crowd. So there's this huge crowd, lots of people going to Jerusalem, following Jesus. Okay, now we understand the context for our reading today. So we are going to go to Luke 19, starting at verse 28. And this is going to be the text for today. Verse 28 of chapter 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as they had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. All right. What is the significance of the colt? Why does it matter that there's a colt? Jesus could have ridden anything. He could have ridden a goat. He could have ridden a white stallion. He could have walked. What's the significance of the cult? Why is that important? And what did that communicate to the people who were watching? To know that, you have to go to Zephaniah. I mean, Zechariah. If you go to Zephaniah, you'll be in the wrong place. Zechariah 9.9. And if you want to turn there, you can. Zechariah 9.9 says this, and it's up on the screen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He rode that animal to fulfill the prophecy that had been spoken years before. The people of Israel were watching for a king they knew the prophecies, they knew the Messiah was coming, and they were watching for this king. And they've been watching Jesus for three years. They see how he's healing, how he's speaking with authority, how he's teaching truth, and they are excited. Could, could Jesus be the one? Could Jesus be Messiah? And then they see him riding into Jerusalem on a colt. Now, what were they thinking? They weren't just thinking Messiah. They were thinking much more worldly thoughts. Because if you continue reading the rest of that prophecy, it speaks a lot to what God says he will do. So I'm going to read nine, Zechariah 9.9 9 again, and then through the end of that prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, 
and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south, and the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be full like a bowl used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them on that day. As, they, as the flock of his people, they will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. They were watching for a king. They had been waiting 600 years for a king of Israel. They hadn't had a king in their country since then. Over 600 years waiting for a king. They're watching for someone to ride on a colt. And then, who shows up? Jesus, riding on a colt. And I think their anticipation looked a little like this picture. These folks are watching the parade. They've been waiting 108 years. Some of them not so much, some of them are only 10. <laughs> but they've been waiting 10 years. They've been waiting a long time. Can, can you see the anticipation? They had been waiting and hoping for a World Series for a long time. The people of Israel had been waiting for 600 years for a king, someone to right the wrong, someone to make Israel the shining jewel it had been during the days of Solomon. When are you going to bring it back, God? When are you going to bring it back? And finally, he's entering on a colt. Can you see the party that's happening? Can you see the excitement that people are feeling? It's here. The day is here. People can laugh and shout and dance, drink beer. They were doing all these things so excited because Jesus has come. The king has come. Let's celebrate. They were so excited. It's exciting for me to think about. Let's continue. Verse 35. They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. Why did they put stuff on the ground? Because it was a way to honor a hero or a king. You're trying to lay out a more smooth, gentle surface for the horse. Let's honor this person we want to honor. So they're taking off their clothing, they're grabbing palm branches and laying it down. Verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king. They are so excited. Can you see him dancing and jumping and shouting and yelling? And Jesus is going to Jerusalem and there's multitudes of people just celebrating. 
Now, is everyone celebrating? No. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, often when I've read this before, I just imagine like everything's quiet. Like everything around Jesus was always quiet. And he could just say, Come here, people, and listen to the word of God. And it was just like silent. No, I... I picture this very differently. I think the Pharisees had to yell at Jesus to get his attention. There's so much joy. There's so much noise going on. People are shouting and singing in loud voices. And some of the Pharisees go, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why did they do that? Because Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. And they did not want to accept him as Messiah. He can't be Messiah. No, this is not right. He's been, he's been looking down on us. We've been, we've been living... Righteous lives. He can't, he can't be, no, this can't be the Messiah. And so they rebuke him. Hey, correct this. Jesus, correct this. And Jesus says in verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is such a huge monumental day. The king has returned he is here and now, and if these people don't sing, the rocks will start singing. The whole earth is celebrating the Savior is here. I just love that picture of how that looks. Now, it, it takes a little turn here. There's tons of joy, happiness, peace happening, and Jesus, his heart attitude is different. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus' heart is breaking because he knows what's going to happen in 70 plus years, when the temple is going to be destroyed, when everything in Jerusalem is just going to be completely overrun. He's heartbroken about it, and he's heartbroken about the people, the Pharisees, who didn't see what God was doing, that he was there and he was there now. When I think about what that must have been like for Christ. He's traveling all this way, walking, crowds around him all the time. He's helping people along the way. And all the while, he has set his face to Jerusalem. And he set it because he knows he is here to bring us peace, peace that we do not deserve. Does anyone know what the name Jerusalem means? Jerusalem means city of peace. So you have the prince of peace entering the city of peace on a mission of peace. God came to set us right with him. And we don't deserve it. And yet he came knowing that he would walk this really painful path for us. In Colossians... Chapter 1, Paul says this. For God was pleased 
to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God came to bring us peace. He came to set things right. He set his face to Jerusalem and was intentional to face hard things for us. Jesus went through hell for us. And he knew as he approached Jerusalem, he knew what he had to do. So all these people are celebrating and excited and hooping and hollering. And Jesus knows in his heart, what do I have to do in these next seven days? That is something to praise God about. He didn't get distracted by the fun. He kept his focus on the goal. I praise him for that. So today, we have an opportunity this week to really celebrate our Lord and Savior. If you think about the people alive back then, they had been waiting so long to celebrate. And there's lots of things we celebrate, right? We celebrate sports. We celebrate different concerts or celebrities. We celebrate... Um, Binge-watching shows on Netflix. Hey, there's a new season! Like, we celebrate all kinds of things. How often do we take time to celebrate the one and only who came to bring us peace? I think we get distracted a lot. Jesus didn't. So my challenge for us this week is how can we be more intentional to celebrate Jesus this week? I think all of us have probably celebrated Easter before. It's pretty common, once a year. And I think sometimes, with things that happen on that type of regular basis, it's very easy sometimes to lose sight of the specialness of it. And I know when we come on Easter morning and we hear the word proclaimed, we are excited and we experience it. And I think most Sundays, we experience a type of Easter, praising God that he has risen and died for us. But I want to challenge us this week to really celebrate Jesus uniquely. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Um, maybe you love singing praise and worship. Maybe you don't want to be a distraction to your coworkers. So maybe you go to your car during lunch and spend an hour praising God. You could also do it in your building. That would be great. I just realized some of us have better voices than others. <laughs> Mark's heard me sing before. Poor him. Um, so maybe you're good at building stuff. Maybe just build a simple cross this week. Maybe you're good at drawing. Draw a picture. I don't know what it looks like for you this week. But I want us to be intentional about celebrating what he did for us, and not just next Sunday, but this entire week. Be intentional about celebrating what has God done for us. And let's do it uniquely. Let's do it however he's created us. Another idea I had, so do this if you want, 
is I thought it'd be really cool if we posted these ideas on social media. So if you painted something, selfie, or have someone else take it. If you wrote a, a new song and you're singing it, post it. If you're doing devotions with your family and you do it three days in a row, and that is like victory for you, post it. And I think it'd be really cool if we use a hashtag. <laughs> so how about if we use <laughs> Jesus party time? So I would love throughout this week to see different members of Family of Christ posting random ways that they celebrated our Lord and Savior and tagging it with that. I just think it's a fun idea. If you don't, pass on it. But I pray that we as a body would celebrate Jesus the way he deserves to be celebrated, not just this week, but our entire lives. Amen.